Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. You almost said 15, didn't you? I did. It's <laughs> all right. keep doing that forever. Long habit. Very long habit. So today, we're going to, we're, we're, in some ways, we're celebrating something. So one of us um, did something that perhaps isn't all that unusual. We, we spent a couple of weeks um, putting together an application and then released it. Uh, what is perhaps very surprising is that that person was you and not me. Yes. I mean, for you, that's like every month you do but something that, like that. That's, that. that's Tuesday for me. But <laughs> yes. uh, for you, this was quite something. So the app we're uh, referring to is uh, Quitter, which is a Mac app for making you waste less time, I guess you could say. Um, is that a good characterization of it? Yeah, I mean, basically, the the very short version of the story is uh, I was using uh, Twitter and Slack and RSS readers too much on my Mac, and it was and I was I'm using an app called Rescue Time for years that uh, that kind of tracks what apps you're using and how much time you spend on them, and it was just showing me like I was spending way too much time in mostly Twitter and then some Slack towards towards more recent months, and so I made an app that would automatically quit those apps any targeted apps it would automatically quit them after a user defined period of inactivity so if you, if i didn't like click on the twitter app window for up to say 10 minutes it would just automatically quit the app so it's out of sight out of mind and it makes it easier for me to focus on my work and rather than having this window that's kind of constantly always in the corner of my screen and bringing in new stuff and you know tempting me with its distraction um, and yes, self-control would be a better way to solve this, but I lack that in this regard. So here we are using tools. So I made this Mac app called Quitter that does a very, very simple thing and uh, just sits in the menu bar. And I released it. Uh, and because it, it can't be sandboxed, which we'll get to shortly, but uh, because it, it can't be sandboxed, I had to release it directly uh, because it won't, it won't be allowed in the Mac app store because it can't be sandboxed uh, because you can't quit other apps from the sandbox. As a brief aside... I tried making it sandboxable because I, I honestly just wanted to put it in the App Store because I just didn't want to have to deal with direct distribution and, and all the, you know, not not trivial but not massively complicated things that come along with that. Things like you have to build in a version updater, like, you know, build in Sparkle and have it automatically manage version. You have to deal with installation, the installation process somehow and things like that. And, and there's like all sorts of like, not to mention if I ever want to charge money for something. Uh, so I put this up there for free. Um, but the reason, you know, I, I want it to be in the App Store because I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if I could maybe charge a dollar for this or charge five dollars for this or whatever I would charge, you know, some reasonable price probably. <laughs> but it's like uh, I tried so hard to make it sandboxable. I tried so many different approaches to doing what it's doing, which is watching, getting the current app being notified when the currently focused app changes, all those things are sandboxable and totally fine. But you can't quit other apps from this, from a sandbox. And there are like six different ways that you could maybe try to do it. I tried all six of them. <laughs> all sorts of different high-level, low-level ways to do this. Um, having like a separate process that you, like a utility thing that you bundle with your app that's not sandboxed and have that uh, quit things and and there was no combination of ways I could do this in which I could have a sandboxed app that was able to quit arbitrary other apps. Uh, it just was not possible. Which is probably a good thing. Yeah, I mean, if you think about how the sandbox is supposed to work, that makes sense. Um, but I do kind of feel burned by the idea of sandboxing because I kind of I wasted so much time trying to get it to work just to get myself permitted in the Mac App Store. 
And I, I am kind of negative feeling on the App Store as a result of that because it's like, if I just started out not even trying to be compatible with the App Store, I would have had this out in half the time. Sure. Um, but that, that's a little frustrating. But otherwise, uh, so you know, once I once I resign myself to, well, I guess this can't be in the App Store. Um, then I had to do some minor setup to do things like get Sparkle bundled in and have some kind of build process where I could where I could semi automate a release if I you know rather than having to like generate the XML file manually and stuff like that uh, for Sparkle. But uh, yeah, for the most part, you know, after a couple of weeks, I had uh, had this thing all set up, and it obviously an experienced Mac developer could have done it in way less time but i'm not an experienced mac developer this was you know i've i've made a handful of mac apps over the years uh, of of attempted mac apps but none of them have ever actually gotten to like releasable quality uh until now and uh and I, even i might argue it's not actually releasable quality yet but it's it's at least a lot closer <laughs> so i released it anyway and it's it's a kind of a remarkable difference between having something in an app store that run by Apple, whether it's iOS or Mac, you know, having something in, in an app store and having something that you're directly distributing um, in, in so many ways in which like ways it works better, ways it's simpler, ways where you're not getting something that the app store gave you kind of for free or well for 30%. Um, you know, so it's, it's interesting kind of to, to see the, all, the kind of the other side of the world here and to see what it's like distributing software directly on in so many levels and this is just the beginning i mean this is this is still you know day three of an app that i released for free that you know so like there's still a lot of missing here <laughs> but uh, i did issue one quick update to it the night, the night that i released it and that was just amazing to just like build the release and run a shell command that uploaded it and updated the sparkle file and then it was just out there was no app review. There was no delay. There was no processing the build for hours. I mean, it was just done and out, and customers could get it. And that's a little bit scary in some ways. Like, I, I'm a little afraid. Like, well, wow, I got. I better be really careful. Like, it'd be really easy to accidentally just release a bug because I didn't test it for long enough. Uh, but also, it was very freeing in a number of ways to be like, if I do release a bug, I don't have to wait a week to fix it. So, so you know, it's this is the beginning of what's probably going to be a big learning experience for me as I very slowly wade into other ideas for Mac apps that I have, which honestly probably won't include Overcast, but we'll see. So, coming to the Mac, what are the things that you found? Like, I've I've toyed with I've with making Mac apps, and I've done like a few little things. Um, almost always, I'd end up making essentially iOS apps that in the menu bar, <laughs> right? Um, like somehow that seems like a much more like natural thing for me. Like the concept, like not having like a big window that you can resize, and all these things that coming from iOS I, were just more complicated. And but like having something about the size of an iOS app that pops up when you hit a menu bar, like that sort of is terrible in some ways, but that works for me. <laughs> well, that's honestly roughly what Quitter is. Like, that's basically what I made. It's not, like, what I made is not that much. It's slightly more advanced than that in that it has a separate window and a menu, but the window is only resizable in one dimension, and it's a table view with a few rows in it. So I basically made an iOS-style app for the Mac. Yeah. But did you find that, like, the things that you... Like you, the, the the I guess the skills you have from iOS helped in terms of like was it a big learning process? Because I don't know, nice. I don't know. Admittedly, I don't have much experience with AppKit, but like I always hear of all the things that like AppKit's so crazy and it's 
you know, it's kind of wild and iOS is AppKit with all the problem solved or whatever. And these things that are very unsubstantiated, but I was curious what your, what you found, like, is that, was it nice? Was it familiar? Was it totally foreign? I mean, so learning curve and familiarity wise, um, I'll get to it in a second. First, like the, my opinion of like the quality of AppKit, uh, whether UIKit is AppKit with all the problems solved. Um, I think UIKit is very clearly like done in part as a response to AppKit from people who would use AppKit forever. Um, and this was kind of like their attempt to solve all the problems of AppKit. And I think UIKit did solve many obvious shortcomings and it got rid of a lot of legacy stuff because the thing is AppKit is really old. And so you you feel that in, in a lot of the things about it, there's a lot of things in there that that are just that just feel like dealing with a lot of legacy stuff that you don't that you shouldn't have to deal with. Um, and so there is a lot of truth to the idea that UIKit is like the better AppKit. But also AppKit solves a bunch of problems that UIKit doesn't have to solve because the environments are so different. So AppKit is, in in many ways, it is as complicated as it is for good reason. Uh, but, you know, obviously in, in some ways it's, you can just feel the legacy and and you can you can see it and, and they do keep it moving slowly, but they do keep it moving. Like you know, it's like table views moved a few years ago from being cell based, and cells are like they weren't quite views. It was kind of like a view, but you couldn't do as much as you could with like a proper NS or UI view. And then re- in recent years, you can now do tables with NS views as the rows and so like stuff like that. Like they've they've updated it slowly over time. But, you know, you still do feel a lot of that legacy stuff. But I think ultimately what I found so far with it, and granted, I'm still in my very, very early days of using AppKit. So huge warning there. But what I found so far is it is not as scary as I thought it was for the first few days of using it. Like after the few days of like, oh, everything's different and weird. I don't like this. Once I once I got a little bit more comfortable with some of it, I started seeing, oh, that's I see why they do it that way. Or that's actually really smart. Or you know, I'm really getting a lot of functionality here for free that that I didn't need to code manually. And you know, simple things like responding to the system standard keyboard commands and stuff like that. Like you get a lot of that basically for free if you do things in like the the templated expected way. Um, so there's there's all sorts of things that you have to that you have to consider and and be compatible with on the Mac that you don't have to consider on iOS. And the opposite is true also. You know, iOS has, has a whole bunch of stuff you have to think about there too. But but I think AppKit does, so far from, from the admittedly very little I've seen of it so far, I think I can say that it's done the way it's done for good reason. And there might be better ways to do it if we, were, if we rewrote it from scratch today. But, well, they haven't. So here we are. Yeah, and I think that's that's fair. And it's, it's interesting because there is certainly as... The business of making iOS apps becomes ever more complicated. I, you know, and inevitably what happens is I'll go to these, I'll go to a conference and I'll, you know, run into some of the people who have been making Mac apps for years and I'll talk to them about their experiences there. And there is definitely a, a, like a grass is greener problem in terms of, but there's definitely a sense that there is a certain amount for certain types of apps of a, it's a very different market for selling software on the Mac where, most Mac apps seem like their their base price is maybe nine dollars, or some somewhere in that ballpark, rather than ninety nine cents or free in a purchase. Isn't the thing that tends to drive Mac apps? So there's certainly these things that I keep in the back of my mind that like, huh, like maybe one day I should go and 
dive into that more fully. But I keep there is definitely a part of me that keeps waiting for the like this much sort of like mythical. Um, at some point, iOS and Mac will merge and there will be like an easier way for someone like myself who's very comfortable on iOS to make things on the Mac. And I have no idea if that will ever actually happen, but it is very in- interesting insofar as having like, it's like learning a new platform that isn't that new. You know, it's like I could make uh, Android apps and I have tried that, um, but it's much more difficult for me to wrap my head around because it's a totally new paradigm and a totally new language rather than starting with something that at least like the code is still objective C or Swift. and foundation is still foundation or Swift. Well, <laughs> not for us, but yeah. Did, for- did you write Quitter in Swift? I have a surprise for you, David. No, of course not. No, but. <laughs> no, no, of course not. That's... No, I, I wanted to get it done very quickly. Because so. yeah. <laughs> this is the kind of thing, like, whenever I mentioned the idea of this app to other people, everyone hated it. Everyone's like, why would I want my my Twitter app to just disappear while I'm using it? it like, it, nobody liked the idea of this app. I got the impression from talking to people beforehand that I would probably be the only person ever to use it. So spending any effort on it, especially, and you know, and because I released it for free, um, spending any effort on it does not seem like a very good use of my time. Uh, so I basically wanted to spend the minimum amount of effort to just get this app to a workable, you know, presentable state. And, I'll pr- and I, there's so many possible features that I could add to it that I'm just like, nope, nope, nope. Like, I'll, if there's turns out to be tons of demand, maybe version two. But version one has to be really basic because I have to get back to everything else I have to work on. Uh, so I... I didn't want to do it in Swift purely because I knew that would make it take a lot longer and, you know, it just wasn't, it didn't seem worth it. Plus, I was already learning AppKit and it's like, let me like, let me learn one massive shift at a time, maybe. (laughs) So like, let me figure out AppKit a little bit in the language I'm already familiar with. And then, you know, my first Swift experiments will probably be iOS apps because I'm way more familiar with the frameworks there so I can focus more on learning the language. So I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that's just how I how I usually tend to do things. I think it makes sense. I mean, as someone who has made a lot of little apps, yeah, that that makes perfect sense to me. That is exactly, in many ways, why I continue to make. Like, in some ways, you could say it's a bit foolish that so since Swift was a, like introduced, like Swift one was introduced, I've launched at least three new apps, like whole cloth, like go into Xcode, file new project, like apps. And in some ways you could say it's a bit foolish that none of those have been written in Swift because it's probably easier to in some ways start from scratch with something rather than like having inserting Swift into an existing project. Sure. Um, and But it's, it's always there's this big hump that I have to overcome of I can do this like, at some point I'm going to have to bite the bullet and who knows maybe this summer will you know like my summer the app inevitably I'm going to make an app this summer with something new in iOS 10. Breaking um, news. Breaking news yeah. Inevitably it's going to happen and maybe this will be the year that I do that but where I was just like, okay, I need to bite the bullet. I just need to get over this hump and learn Swift. And the best way to do that is to actually build something with it. Um, but it's always so hard when you're looking at these kind of like side project things. And it's like, or I could just like bang this out in a predictable, reliable amount of time. I like, I can, you know, and, and honestly, in some ways, that's the biggest thing that I, I worry about when I like think of something like Swift is I don't, I, I can't estimate how long it'll take to build. 
Whereas with an iOS app, like I know how long it takes for me to do something. And so when I'm trying to decide, is it worth my time? Is it worthwhile? I can say like, yeah, I know there'll be a week or two. That'll be three weeks. That'll be about a month. Like, because I've done it so many times, but yeah, like, who knows? I mean, you know, eventually we will have to bite the bullet. And I, I think for me, that time will probably be this summer where I finally have to start using Swift <laughs> because the longer we wait, you know, it's, it's, it really is a form of technical debt that we are we are in, we are kind of intentionally not using this language that is obviously the future of, of a platform we work on and, and the present honestly of the, of the platform we work on like we really should be migrating to swift now and the longer we wait to do that to both to migrate both our skills and our ongoing code bases um the the more pain we're going to have down the road when when there's some stronger motivating reason why we have to do that so i you know this is obviously uh something that we should do soon <laughs> maybe who knows maybe that's what we'll do this summer it'll be a an interesting and terrifying experience for us both i'm sure exactly this episode of Under the Radar is brought to you by Hover. Quite simply, Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. When you have an idea for a project, naming it can be difficult. Now with Hover, you can search, you can get lots of keywords, you can fi- figure out what domains are available through all the different domain extensions. Once you finally get that name, you'll be able to quickly and easily buy the domains that you need. Uh, they have a simple, fast, and hassle-free method of buying domain names at Hover. You don't want to be faced with like a thousand screens, a thousand add-ons, confusing add-ons with high prices. Like, do I need that or not? Or things that seem really obvious, like, do I want privacy? Well, yes, of course I want privacy. Hover gives you that stuff for free. They're really user-friendly, very well-designed. It's really, really easy to use. And they don't believe in heavy-handed upselling or cross-selling or confusing packages that are just you know really overpriced to make you buy things that you didn't really need, just kind of fool you into it. They don't believe in all that stuff. Hover has great prices. Uh, now they have over 400 domain name extensions out there. Uh, they also have fantastic customer support if you ever need any help. They of course you can you know of course you can email them and everything, but they also have phone support. And if you call them up, they have a policy of no hold, no wait, and no transfer, which means you call them and a human being picks up the phone immediately. No menus, nothing, and they don't have to transfer you to five different departments to help you. The person who picks up, they can help you. It's really quite amazing. Uh, and of course, you know, email if you want it and everything else. They have so much more great stuff. They have volume discounts. They have custom email addresses, storage, storage and forwarding, so much more. Uh, they even have a new feature called Hover Connect, which makes it easy to get your new domain name connected with ver- with popular hosting services and other things you might need uh, if you're buying a domain name, things like Squarespace, Tumblr, Shopify, many more. They have automatic configuration for all these things. Um, and of course, if you need any help use that support it's amazing so go right now to hover.com and try them out use coupon code this week wwdc at checkout to get 10 percent off your first purchase at hover.com and show your support for under the radar and all of relay fm thank you to hover for sponsoring the show and all of relay fm so what i thought might be an interesting thing to dive into for the second half of this episode is your experience building a Mac app reminded me of something that is a pattern that I found that is keeps cropping up in being an indie where being open to doing little side projects and gradually extending out my skill set has come back to reinforce itself and pay for itself so often that now it is something that when I see an opportunity to like do something new and interesting more often than not, I will say yes to it and justify the time for it because it just sort of keeps happening that like by be like being an independent by definition in some ways, like we have to be a Jack or Jill of all trades. Like we have to 
be able to do so many things because we're just one person or two people. And so we have to be able to do all these things that a lot of, you know, if you work in a bigger company that other people would be able to do for you, or you'd be able to outsource or contract for, and being independent, you tend to do these things yourself. And so I think about things like, you know, probably about a year ago, I did a, uh, started a series of uh, YouTube videos about um, how at the time it was, I think it was learning watch kit. And I did like a few YouTube videos, it never really went anywhere. Like they didn't get too much traction or interest, but I went through the process of learning how to ba- make a video. And that turned out then Apple introduced app previews and I was like, oh, great. I actually know how to use Final Cut Pro. I learned it from this project that never went anywhere, but now I found this thing that was more core to my business that I needed to know how to do, and I could now edit video, at least well enough to make an app preview. Or I started a podcast. Back in the day, it was developing perspective, and for years and years, it never really went anywhere, but I developed this, you know, sort of this discipline and this habit of thinking through my ideas, which it, it helped me have better ideas, and then also, you know, introduced me to a lot of new people, and it's helped give me an audience to do things with. And it's something that I just wanted to sort of explore a little bit, because I feel like in many ways, it's an important thing for me, if you want to be an independent businessman, that you have to ex- be multi-dimensional like you have to keep adding these little skills to your skill set and one of the best ways to do that in my experience is these little side projects and so like now you know how to make or at least you've you've gone through the process of actually releasing a mac app and so if you ever want to release another mac app you have that skill or even more importantly if you consider making a mac app for say for overcast like your main product you can look at it and say I actually kind of have a sense of what that would be like and whether that would be a good idea and you're not just guessing that's the big thing is like, you know, like as you mentioned, like you were hesitant about Swift because you don't know how to estimate it. Now I know to some degree, not not a huge degree because, you know, like porting Overcast would be very little low end work and, and a whole bunch of of interface work. You know, that and that's and the, the, dealing with UI kits, various interface, I mean, dealing with app kits, various interface complexity is the area in which I have the least experience uh, on app kit because Quitter is one screen and it's a really simple screen. So, you know, I dealing with things like complex table view layouts and, and resizing and all, all this stuff, like there's a lot that I haven't tackled yet that I'm not familiar with yet. So I'd still, it would still be tricky for me to figure out like how to do that. And also just like a podcast app is a lot of UI. It's a lot of screens. It's a lot of widgets and buttons and gestures. And like, there's a lot there. So the, the, the scope of that problem would be very large. And I think one of the main reasons why... I'm not rushing to make Overcast for the Mac is, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, before the break, you mentioned how like you'd be, you'd been tempted to try the Mac for things like the the different business models that are possible or, or the different customer pricing expectations that are there. And those are very valid. But I think the best justification to whether you should make a Mac app or whether you shouldn't make a Mac app for something is where are the customers for that app? And for Overcast, you know, I have Overcast on the web, I have Overcast on the iPhone, and I have Overcast on the iPad. The iPad version was mostly a waste of time, and all the work that I put into it was mostly a waste, because among my active users, I'm running something like 96% iPhone and 2% iPod Touch, so it's like it's like 2 or 3% iPad use uh, among active users, and 
the app had to take on a lot of complexity with things like the adaptive split view for adaptive layout and now the new iPad resizing with the multitasking, which kind of uses that. And there's so many like weird little hacks in the app and, and complexity in the UI structure in order to enable iPad universal support. And I did all that for 3% of users. And that 3% might have been okay if it was just a blown-up iPhone app on the few times I had to use it on the iPad. You know, I don't know. I, I guess I have no way of knowing that. But my, all the effort I put into the, into the iPad port probably was not worth it in, in the grand scheme of things. And I'm not going to take it out now because, you know, it's there now. But, you know, it, if, I, if I could go back and spend that time on features that would benefit all the iPhone users, also, I think I would that would be time better spent. Um, with the Mac app... I'm not rushing to make a Mac app for Overcast primarily because I don't think it would do much better than the iPad app. I think there are some people asking for it. No question. Some people want a Mac app. First and foremost, though, I don't. I would never use it because I, I don't listen to podcasts while I'm working. And that's the thing. Like People would say either you do or you don't. And, and I'm not one of those people, so I don't even know what a Mac app would really be like to be good. And I wouldn't be motivated to make it for myself so that's going to hurt the chances of it being made but also i just think that like there's aren't that many people looking for a podcast app on the mac you know that's it, it's a way smaller market than the iphone and so for the amount of effort it would take which is a non-trivial like a, a, a large amount of effort to build enough ui to make it useful i don't think that's it's unlikely i think to to be worthwhile in the long run whereas like quitter solves a problem it took very little effort and it solves a big problem that i was having and it's you know it's it's already paid for itself in efficiency gains for me so that makes sense you know something else i was thinking about doing is like utilities for podcast production which i have tons of like shell scripts and like little hacky apps that i use to help me produce podcasts help me edit and publish them and the obvious next step is to make those for the mac and I, I've also had this lofty goal in my head, maybe someday it would be cool to make a podcast editor, like to replace Logic. And I thought for a while, maybe I should do that on the iPad, because it would be a great use of the iPad Pro. You have this nice big screen, you have the pencil for precision editing and everything. It sounds like a great use for the iPad Pro. But like, well, where are people actually editing podcasts? And I, and I like my entire workflow is on the Mac. And if I made this tool for the iPad, it would be great. I could do it really quickly because I'm more familiar with UIKit, but... It would also be like the entire ecosystem around the editing of the podcast. Everything else I use and that everyone else I know uses to edit podcasts, it's all these Mac utilities and Macs and Mac uh, needs, you know. So like it seemed like that would be a waste to make that for iPad when most of the action in that space really happens on the Mac. So it's kind of like you have to like kind of go to where the people are for that thing for the most part. And there's, you know, consideration for things like level of competition and everything that might sway you one direction or the other but like it should be clear from the kind of app you're making which platform is the more likely platform for success and i think things like podcast production utilities that's the mac things like consumption of media that's ios for sure and that's not to say that nobody works on the on ios or nobody consumes media on the mac but it's just you know it's a matter of like you know what's way more popular or or easier to do on these platforms and so i think that is the more responsible way to choose which platform you use is just like where's the audience for this really sure yeah and i think it's also worth explore sort of understanding too that the thing that's also so difficult about something like doing quitter doing a side project um on the mac versus doing overcast is what's great 
what works out to be a wonderful thing is if your side projects are kind of low risk, low commitment, that you can partition them off from your main work. Because like the difficulty with, with something like Overcast, I imagine, in some ways, is that the stakes are so high. Oh, yeah. And people's expectations are so high versus a random app that if it if Twitter, no one had downloaded it, it's like that doesn't really impact you in a way that if you launch on day one and you, you know, the like you if your entire user base downloads the Mac app and starts using it, that's a non-trivial num- number of people. And so it's a dangerous thing if, for, for like an exploratory or a side project um, or something you're new at to just sort of take on versus something where, yeah, like a, like a, a podcast utility rather than a full-blown podcast editor. It's like, sure, it's low commitment, low risk. If it doesn't work out, like it's not that big of a deal and you can hopefully just have learned from it and eventually over time building up the skills from, you know, smaller things that are low risk, low, low commitment maybe something bigger makes sense. Um, but that is certainly something that I know I've had to learn for myself of being able to think through the level of commitment something is going to require um, beforehand rather than discovering mm-hmm. at the end, you look back and you're like, huh, this is actually a lot more work than I thought it was going to be or requires a lot more maintenance or my or attention than I thought it would be. And that's very problematic and sort of becomes not a helpful side project. Exactly. All right. Well, we're out of time this week. I think there's lots of things here we could talk about more, though, so we probably will in future episodes. Uh, So we're out of time this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks to our sponsor, Hover, and we will see you guys next week. Bye.